Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. I'm coming to America. The first show of the tour will be at Gramercy Theatre in New York on the 4th of January. And tickets are on sale now. Go to guiltyfeminist.com for all the details. They're going fast. More dates are coming soon, but the faster this one sells, the more dates they'll put on. So if you're in New York and you want to see the Guilty Feminist Live, book today. This episode is all about climate change. And one of our guests is Helen Clarkson, the amazing CEO of the Climate Group. Some of the suggestions for how we can really slow climate change are quite provocative. They're in the context of a comedy show. You might think, oh, I've got this idea or this suggestion or I'm not sure about that. So I sat down and had a longer conversation with Helen, which we've put at the end of the show. So before you respond, have a listen to that more complex conversation. It's such a hot topic, climate change, in more ways than one. And we really, really do need to address it. The science is in, we've only got 12 years to slow climate change. So we do want to join together to be as practical as possible about the problem as the human race. And it is Climate Week this week. Climate Week is in New York City. I'm going to be there for that. It's run in coordination with the UN and the City of New York. But there are events all over the world, wherever you are. Put climate change and events into Google and see what is happening. There's the school strikers to support. There's the Extinction Rebellion. There's all sorts of marches, things that you can get involved in. So please Google Climate Week and your area, and you will be able to find things. And now this is one of my favorite podcasts in a long time, I have to be honest. It's a very, very funny, charming episode. So on with the show. (laughs) Or wherever you're, where do you listen to it? Just shout the name. In the car, thank you. Where? In bed. In fact, last I've stopped asking this because sometimes I, one time I asked it and someone said I use it to fall asleep. <laughs> it, what? It's a compliment to a podcast. No, it isn't. It is. It's actually your most intimate relationship with a podcast is the one you fall asleep to. 
And you don't, you don't just go, oh, I listened to it. You go back to it at a point oh. that you can remember. You often re-listen. It's a, it's a huge compliment. That's why people are weird when they meet you, because like, you literally whisper in their ear as they're falling to sleep about the patriarchy. And then you're right there being a real woman. So maybe I should do more, like, if you're falling asleep now. Yes. So we can do just that. Just put some uh, stuff yeah. in later on. Just sort so of you're very relaxed. Does, yes. You'll wake up more confident. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you look like, it matters who you are. <laughs> so Okay, all right, fine. Um, do you want to go first? Or okay, I'll go first. I'm a feminist, but that doesn't mean I'm not fun at parties. <laughs> For instance, I don't go to parties because I find getting dressed up so stressful. The more things I try on, the less confidence I have, all the while shouting at myself in my head that my value isn't connected from what I look like. I'm a strong, independent woman, except I'm not. I'm crying in a velour crop top. <laughs> because I found the face of Winston Churchill in my cellulite. <laughs> What's he doing there? <laughs> also, my knees have got this thing. They look like babies smoking. It's, they've got cheeks and a cigarette. I, I need to see that now. I mean, not now. That would be rude. That's why I wear shorts for the environment. Or, or for anyone. I'm a feminist, but I'm really thrilled to hear that Sarah Pascoe has cellulite. Um, that's not my one, though. I'm a feminist, but somebody... I met a beauty journalist the other day, and she kindly gave me something out of one of her beauty bags she got given, and it was called Guerlain Youth Protector. Don't judge me, because it was just... It's a sunscreen, really. It's a protector. But when I put it on my face, it was like putting cashmere on my face. It was just like... Which, as a vegan, I know you can't do. Um, (laughs) But it was like putting, I don't know, fairy tears on my face (laughs) and it was so amazing and I just looked at it and I thought look I was so tempted to go on Instagram and go oh I really love this because I thought they might give me some more and I thought I can't do that this is not right I'm a feminist I can't be going on Instagram and going ooh I love Youth Protector by Guerlain hoping to get some in the post but if anyone is listening from Guerlain (laughs) I am quite keen on having some more and the reason I feel it's okay because I normally don't like products that say youth in them because it, it somehow holds youth up as to be this premium when what's wrong with getting older but I did think on this occasion it's not trying to get more youthful it's youth protector and we all have some youth right so the youth that I have is protecting that it's a line of defense it's not it's not trying to anti-age me I don't want anything anti-aging unless you've got a really good product that you think will work but you're falling asleep um You work for Girl Lane and you're falling asleep. <laughs> My address is the Spontaneity Shop, 85 to 87 Bayham Street, NW10AG. If you wanted to pop some youth protector into the post, because I've looked at the price of it and I would like it for free. How much is it? <laughs> don't, don't. How it's, much is it? It's, it's a, because that's the thing with how much they charge for those creams. I know, but let's not... Don't ruin it, because I want them to send it to me for free and if we start slagging off the price... <laughs> wow. <laughs> There is a relation between how it is the emperor's new clothes. The more they cost, the less they do. It just you it makes do your hands feel soft, running out stop, and then you put your hand, it It's just the top layer of cells that what feels if like they're, they're in tonight. I don't, don't care. <laughs> um, they know they're con merchants. So, um, oh, so look, come on. I'm a feminist. Oh, but I'm getting into a conundrum when I'm walking my new puppy. 
So he's um, very small and very sweet. And actually, this says a lot about our society and our culture. People call him her, and they go, oh, she's so lovely. Mm. How old is she? And they just instantly assume because he's small and sweet. And I don't think his sex is relevant to any conversation, so I don't correct people. But it also means I don't want them to feel bad, so I'm kind of disguising... I'm hiding his penis with my hands. (laughs) when I, like, pick him up so we can move on. So they don't then go, why didn't you... Why have you been... (laughs) Why have you been saying, she's lovely, she's got... Also, why does it matter? Why do... It's so odd that they say she and I feel a bit weird for him and it just... It doesn't matter unless... They're going to try and get you pregnant or something. I think it was somebody... And I don't know who it was, but I must check it out. But uh, somebody on Twitter was saying... I think they might have been non-binary and they were saying, if someone misgenders my dog and I say, oh, Mm. it's actually a she... They really freak out and go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they never do it again. But they can't remember my pronouns. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good point. Yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, it's just crazy that we do it all the time, like, automatically. I'm a feminist, but while I really, really, really do want diversity of casting on television in comedies and dramas, I really want that so much. I have made a huge exception in my mind for good omens because I desperately want to see David Tennant, Michael Sheen and John Hamm all in the one shot. <laughs> that is just my idea of heaven. I looked at it, I got so excited about the trailer. I don't think you've taken on board what I've said. David Tennant, <laughs> Michael Sheen and John Hamm all playing supernatural beings and hanging out together and, and we can just imagine like the lols they had when oh. someone said part. We get to imagine that for free. That's have you, extra, have that's you hung out with a middle-aged man lately? <laughs> They're not fun in no, any way, no, shape, or form. Those three are. Those three They're are teetering fun. on type two diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> They're moaning about everything. They think the world has changed. They don't understand what's woke. They say, what's woke mean? <laughs> it used to mean I got up in the morning. <laughs> oh God, you'd have a terrible time. I'm a feminist, but. The work of Simone de Beauvoir and Betty Friedan combined did not speak to me, move me, or inspire me anywhere near as much as the Hair Matter speech in Fleabag. (laughs) So glad I'm alive now. Uh, So true. So true. If you haven't seen it yet, you... uh, Get out. uh, (laughs) No, you're in for a treat. I'm a feminist, but... While I was, I was genuinely very sorry when I heard, you know about the female astronauts? And they were about to do the first female-only spacewalk. They were about to go, and then they said, oh, sorry, we don't have enough spacesuits, so we can't, because we don't have enough spacesuits in women's sizes. And we were all like, oh, what? Anyway, while I was very sorry about that, and I really was, because these astronauts who'd waited so long to go on an all-female spacewalk couldn't do it, when I read more about the story, it said, we've only got one spacesuit in a medium. And I did think... Yeah, have any of you space bitches tried to go swimsuit shopping for an extra large? <laughs> Get back to me then. And I'm, okay, how is that not... That's Obviously, that's a joke, guys. I can't get away with saying bitches, can I? No one wants to hear that from me. Oh, I fucked it. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I think you're being paranoid. I think there was actually some genuine, like, it must be really horrible. <laughs> that's actually what happened. Well, don't patronise me. Yeah, I think that is what they were doing. Okay, all right, I'll try again. All right. While I did feel sorry for those astronauts, I did think, have any of them, if they're mediums, have any of them gone swimsuit shopping for a large? If not, I'm saving my tears. That was better. That was better. What we've learnt there is I can't say bitches. Okay. 
Live from the Belly Theatre on the South Bank in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminines with me, Deborah Francis Wright, guest co-host Sarah Pascoe, and our very special guests, Helen Clarkson and Clement Sicata, talking about climate change. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Today, I'm with my co-pilot, Sarah Pascoe, and we are talking about climate change. Hello, Sarah Pascoe. Oh, is that working? Hello? Hello. That's not working, is it? Hello? That's that's working. It's definitely working. That's the kind of volume we need for feminism. I'm not messing with that shit. We'll have to get that fixed hello, before the guest hello. comes on. Hello, this I'm is... working now as well. I just, just found some poo bags in my pocket. Um, <laughs> just to be clear... For... if anyone does need to go. Um, <laughs> just to be clear, Sarah has a dog. I think that's key information. Don't, don't say it. Um, <laughs> I, this is what I like about being a vegan. This is like the cow ate us. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? In his belly. This is his revenge. Yes. You know, it's not a cow here, though, is it? What is it, then? It's just a purple tent. Is it? They're not allowed to have a cow here. It's in Edinburgh, it's a cow. But here, big fan of Edinburgh or cows, I don't know. Uh, But here, they something the South Bank's too snooty to have udders. Yeah, it's true. That's true. It's not a cow outside, is it? Udderbelly people? Oh, I hadn't even realised that. So is that because, like, the Houses of Parliament get jealous that, oh, we're the only pointy thing? <laughs> no udders. <laughs> Do you think Theresa May's banned it? I don't want to blame her for that as well. Mm. Because, I, no, because I feel like if it's what she wanted, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so, It's true, it's true. Too much credit to imagine that anybody in the House of Commons could organise the removal of others at the moment from a tent. (laughs) Yeah, if you go to the Edinburgh Festival, it's the same tent, but it looks like an upside-down cow. Um, And that's why it's called the Udderbelly. But I don't know what it's called here. What's what's it called here? Underbelly. It's called the Underbelly here. So what's that? Like the perineum? (laughs) Are we in a perineum right now? (laughs) I think so. That's that. Mm. It's it's not the sexiest thing to be in, is it? It's not not the sexiest thing to be in. <laughs> well, I, I suppose it depends on your proclivities. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter what your proclivities are. Everyone's got one. What a perineum. Yeah. I know, but now I feel like you're thinking about mine. No. <laughs> They're awkward. About the one we're inside. Okay, that's fine. Cow's one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a long story about two Etonians, lovely chaps, going to Edinburgh and taking over a venue and then the economics of the fringe massively changing. That was sort of the underbelly of Cowgate and okay. because of Cowgate and underbelly, etc. Oh, um, and it's the first time on record that the economics of this country have been altered by two Etonians doing something <laughs> rather... I'm, I'm kidding. Ed and Charlie, if you're in, which you're definitely not... Uh, we love you. You're an important part of the fringe. Oh, it's the Belly Theatre, is it, Tom? Is it? Oh, okay. We're not in a perineum. We're in a stomach. Okay. But, but a cow has three stomachs or four. I think that's a rumour. No, I feel like it's one a of those rumor. things. No, I feel like it's one of those things you get taught at school, and then QI says they don't have seven stomachs. 
I feel like it's one of those things. That's, that's not a rumour, though, so it's more of a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. People behind the bike sheds, at the bus stops, <laughs> trying to get you to smoke with them, being like... <laughs> How many? No there must secret. be someone in who's like a vet or has done a degree in this kind of thing, because we have a very terribly, terribly well-educated audience. Uh, if you know about these things, if you've got a good working knowledge and could write a Wikipedia entry at short notice, please shout, yay! Oh, great. I knew there would be. Uh, what's your name? Amy. Amy. And what do you do for a living? Uh, I do clinical trials on people, not cows. <laughs> clinical trials on people, not cows. <laughs> yeah, no, people, not cows. Do not hurt her. Uh, and how do you know about the stomach situation of a cow? Um, I do biomedical science at uni. Biomedical sciences at uni. Where did you go to uni? Manchester. Manchester. Great. Okay. All of this is stacking up. Um, <laughs> So now we're going to throw it to you, Amy. You're our phone a friend. How many stomachs does a cow have? Four. Four! Okay. Okay. Unless it's her who started the rumour. <laughs> That's the thing. You don't, you, ha- you don't know where you're getting it. She does sound like she knows what she's talking about, though. Are you implying this is a cowspiracy theory? <laughs> no, I'm going to believe it now. Now I believe it. Yeah, Amy's yeah. told you. Four Amy stomachs. is an educated woman in the sciences. Much like that woman who did the black hole photograph. Yeah. Let's not call her that woman. Let's find her name out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a feminist, but... Yeah, that a lady person. The, photo. the yeah. science lady. The, the science... The science... Oh, um, someone knows they, they know the name. I'm looking it up so I can read it out, but we'll edit this in as if I knew it all along. Um, OK, so congratulations to Katie Booman... Uh, to whom we owe the first photograph of a black hole ever. My friends in America were like, on my WhatsApp group, uh, what, you know, have got one of those girlfriend WhatsApp groups where you're like, hey, girlfriend, um, <laughs> and you encourage each other through the daily grind of sexism. Oh, yeah. Have you got a couple of those WhatsApp groups? I've got a couple of those WhatsApp groups. Oh, I find them unbearable. But, um... <laughs> the, the trick is to have only... I mute them. No, no um, these are only friends, two, two, two other people in the group. I don't, the big okay. ones are hard to yeah, navigate. yeah, yeah. yeah. You just need a couple of two women. And uh, they were going, and we cried when we saw her. And I said, oh, I haven't seen any pictures. It was all just pictures of the black hole. And I asked my audience last night, and they all said, no, that we didn't know it was a woman. And so we believe we got it trending. Oh. That it was a woman. <clears throat> so she might have taken a picture of a black hole, but I got her name trending on Twitter today in the UK. So who, who was the bigger hero? Her, obviously. Sure. Um, so, how do you feel about climate change? I mean, obviously... I'm against it. Yeah, not in favour. <laughs> sure. I'm going to say that straight away. <laughs> I Well, our amazing guest today, um, yeah. Helen Clarkson, the CEO of the Climate Group, I met her at a drinks event for women. If you're a man, you don't know this, we're marshalled into drinks with each other all the time. <laughs> it's just demanded of us. People don't think we'll find each other naturally. No. Because <laughs> there's so few of us. I mean, They have to hire yeah. a room. It's true. I don't think men are ever asked to go to men's drinks. Just give us a cheer if you're a man and you've been asked to go to men's drinks. Never. I mean, sometimes you just find yourself alone with men because you run the world. And you're in a room of influence and you look around and you go, oh, no women ones here again. Sure, but you're not marshalled in because you're a man. We're marshalled into rooms because we're women all the time. You don't understand how frequently that happens. I mean, certainly if you live in London... Mm. Or you have and, a job in a certain industry. And the only thing you have in common is that you're women. So that's the way you start the conversation, don't you? <laughs> oh, hello, so lovely to meet another one. <laughs> How are you finding it? <laughs> What's it like being a woman 
in comedy, well, I'm probably quite similar to being a woman in science, except I do jokes and you do... Serious, proper things. <laughs> That's very respectable. I bet your parents are very proud. <laughs> yes, I, every time I meet a human rights lawyer, I tell them my mother's very proud of them. Because <laughs> she is. She's caving. Now, anyway, the point is, I went to drinks. I went to drinks. And I met this amazing woman, Helen Clarkson, CEO of the Climate Group. And we'd already been talking online about Helen coming on the show. She said, there's lots of things we need to do and corporations and countries need to do. Mm -hmm. And she was very interesting about that. But she said, the three things we can do as individuals mm -hmm. are three things nobody wants to do. Wear hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? <laughs> so I won't do it, even for the planet. Um, no, no. <laughs> No. Okay. Whatever uh, you say now is going to sound better to yep. everyone. Okay. Uh, More of an option. So the first one is not have children. Fine. But I feel like an eco-warrior because I, I haven't had a child today and I'm not going to have one tomorrow. <laughs> so, boom. Look at me in awe. I would guess that no one in here has had a child today or is having one tomorrow. <laughs> I think we're all in... I think we can all pat ourselves on the, the back. back. <laughs> yes, that's true. For a successful beginning of the week. Uh, <laughs> or end of the week. Where are we? Um, yeah. Yeah. So every day you wake up and don't give birth, you have done your bit for the planet. Um, if you are heavily pregnant, please don't hold oh, it in. Oh, no. Just because Deb's no. babies are no, terrible. No, no, no. Obviously, some people have to have babies or the human race would die out. Yeah, also, um, they're adorable. So they're adorable. On. They're adorable. And we've got pets, and they are pretty bad for the planet as well. So um, she did say no one wants to do this. So don't please don't write in and go, I just had a baby and you made me feel sad. Obviously, this is what I've been advised by Helen Clarkson, CEO of the Climate Group, right no, to I her. Know. No, I think it's... It's win -win. Right to her I think it's win-win. If you have children or a young baby or are going to have children, then let's save the planet for them to live on. And if mm. you don't, then you get to have this extra smugness <laughs> of true. I haven't created any more consumers. It's true. Yeah. Smugness and an uninterrupted brunch. <laughs> That's my reward. I mean, if the planet survives till I'm in an old person's home, I am aware that the Edinburgh Festival will not come and visit me there. And that's all I've invested in. And if it did come and visit me there, oh, I'd I'm be... sure some student groups. <laughs> so I said, annoying. do you want to go and Just see come Deborah and fly Francis White? <laughs> <laughs> Juggle at me. Um, the other thing is you can do yeah. uh, is be vegan. Yeah. So tick. That's tick for you. Yeah. I've definitely really made big inroads. I'm not as vegan as you. Yeah. Or as vegan yeah, as... Veganism ve is a spectrum. That we're all on, in a way. No one's eating meat right now. <laughs> Again, so let's uh, pat yourselves on the back. <laughs> Unless someone's just sneak a, a sausage in. in the middle there with jerky in a bag. Um, I'm not as vegan as vegans, that's clear. Um, but I'm more vegan than I was. And I tend to be pescatarian, and I try to cut out dairy, by which I mean I've stopped having milk and coffee. But, but also, the other day I went to some... It was one of these parties where women are marshalled in together mm -hmm. and the snacks were really delicious they're like little bits of avocado stuff. and I said these are really are, they, are these all vegan and she said yeah we just find it easier she said if everything's vegan and gluten free then we've got no problems and I went, that's what it needs to be that's what it needs to be the default is and I mean I know I'm living in a very metropolitan pocket you know and yes. I do speak from a place of privilege that you know that's what it needs to be um, I'm mm. aware there's much broader issues but thought that so you're a vegan so mm -hmm. you've ticked two of these boxes yeah and the other one is travel on aeroplanes as little as possible yeah how are you there not on a plane <laughs> so <laughs> like everyone else in the room i'm three for three <laughs> have you have you though because <laughs> you i went to see your show which was brilliant at the palladium and it was recorded for the television mm -hmm. which is absolutely brilliant and you had a whole routine about flying business class yes um <laughs> 
I only bring this up because I think you're going to make others feel intimidated by oh, your child's free veganism. I don't think veganism. anyone was intimidated. Um, but, no, but that's one of the things, actually. We all have hypocrisy in our lives. I think you have to draw a line and kind of say, but my boyfriend's Australian, but this is now a good excuse for getting out of his friend's weddings and seeing his family. It's the environment. Yeah, I just care about carbon emissions too much. And is your boyfriend to... going to be really thrilled about that going out on the podcast, though? Because some of his friends and family might listen to it. Only when they're falling asleep. So <laughs> hopefully we've already lost them. <laughs> Would you like to hear some sound of comedy? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage the incredible Sarah Pascoe. Um, thank, thank you so much. And um, thank you so much for having me. So, um, of the three things that is important or helpful that we can do on a personal level, uh, I'm two of them. I don't have children and I'm a vegan. Actually, as I've said already, I've recently got this little puppy and um, it's odd, this really odd thing that people kind of refer to him as a fur baby. Like, oh, you've got a fur baby now. Oh, how's your little fur baby? And I don't really like that phrase because fur baby kind of insinuates that you're compensating for something. I'm nearly 40 and I don't have children and you can't compensate for something with something better. Um, <laughs> Uh, having, having a little puppy is so much better than a baby and I didn't even have to rip my vagina to get it but I just went and paid someone some money um, but so here's an odd thing so I'm a vegan and I've got this puppy and it didn't even occur to me not to feed him meat um, it didn't occur to me at all and I since know because um, of the internet and people writing me angry messages there are some vegans who give their, their pets a, a vegan diet and I'm, I'm sure they're very healthy and very happy which is what these people are claiming but for me it's like it's, it's a personal choice I choose not to eat meat animals eat meat their system evolved that way and I've got kind of well-sourced meat but I've also realized that I'm a vegan because I really love animals I love them so much and I respect them and I hate the way they're treated and I hate the way that they're killed but I prefer my dog to all those animals um, like, like, and, isn't that, and so now I understand nationalism like I, and I understand how it works how the empathy kind of gets the, 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 you love the people closer so um so I, I do understand it but um I also... Oh, so I've been vegan for ten years, and in that time I've had eight boyfriends. Oh, Sarah, how so many? Um, <laughs> overlapping. Um, I'm, I'm busy. And... Um, all of those boyfriends, when I went out with them, they weren't vegans. They all ate meat. But after breaking up with me, they all became vegan. Some of them straight away. Some of them four or five years later. They're all still in contact with me. They send me kind of WhatsApp messages when there's a new vegan cheese or a good <laughs> vegan cafe. And just in case you're now thinking, oh, God, Sarah must really lecture people about veganism. I promise you I don't. I really feel like we're all adults. We have the same information. We make personal choices. I must have facts and statistics about factory farming in my vaginal canal. <laughs> and then on my cervix, one of those horrible pictures that sometimes, you know someone will share it on Facebook. It's like a, a kind of like an animal hanging up in an abattoir with no skin on. And then you have to unfriend them. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then the, their poor penis is inside me. Just kind of like going backwards and forwards, like grimly stirring the evils of humanity. And that's the only explanation. <laughs> and some penises must be faster readers than others. Um, I don't know. I don't know the 
my exact science, um, when it's not a podcast, I, I do this sometimes, I talk about this as stand-up, and um, I have this impression of the penis, like inside me, kind of having this terrible time, and it's definitely, definitely the, like, the rudest thing I've ever done. And, um, and the first time I ever tried it out at a gig, I kind of, I warned them beforehand, like, um, oh, I've got this new idea, um, but uh, I think it's a, a too rude. And at the end of the gig, this woman, she was waiting for me, she was old, I'm not being rude, she was exceptionally old, and, um, and she was waiting for me, and she said, oh, oh, you know that bit that you thought was too rude? And I said, oh, yes. And she goes, no. <laughs> you should say, and that's why they all throw up in there. <laughs> Which is too rude. <laughs> it's the rudest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's the rudest thing I've ever heard. I'm so obsessed with that woman now. Who is she? <laughs> What has her life been like? I'm hoping it's me from the future. <laughs> if I ever find out a way of time travelling and going back to my old gigs with filth. <laughs> that's, that's if there is a future, guys. <sighs> Save the planet, yeah? <laughs> Thanks, bye. <laughs> Hello Guilty Feminists, it's Jessica Regan here. I'm delighted to announce some more autumn dates for our Guilty Feminist Big Speeches workshops happening at the Rose and Crown Theatre in Walthamstow. So these workshops are taking place on Sundays, Sunday the 22nd of September, the 29th of September and October 6th and October 13th. So they're all happening at the Rose and Crown Theatre pub in Walthamstow and if you want to come and find your voice and take your space, please get on the website Guilty Feminist com forward slash big speeches to book your place. Our first workshop is nearly sold out, so do get on it to avoid disappointment. Looking forward to seeing you there. that the children are going to save us. The next generation taking days off school. Uh, this next generation are just incredible. They're incredible on climate change. They're incredible on gender fluidity and understanding about gender identity. In America, they're going to overturn the Second Amendment. The next generation are incredible. And I have complete faith that they are going to save the world. I was saying this to someone the other day and then I just suddenly stopped myself and went, that is fucking ridiculous. Are we seriously going to leave it to children? That's what we're all saying to each other and reassuring each other. Don't worry, the kids have got it. High five, light up another Marlboro Mental. Let's not crack another Chardonnay because you know who's got it in the bag? The eight-year-olds. The UN have said, the UN have said that if we don't stop climate change in the next 12 to 15 years, it's it's unsafe. Unstoppable. But do you know who's got it in the bag? My niece. She's wonderful. Oh, she's just done a project for school. She's 13. So, you know, by the time she's, I don't know, 22, I'm sure she'll have finished it. What are we talking about? It's like if previous generations have done this. So I did a little bit of thinking about this. This is how history would be different. We shall fight them on the beaches and we shall never, ever surrender. And by we, I do mean fifth formers. Imagine <laughs> if Rosa Parks had said, God has always given me the courage to say what's right, but I'm not going to, there's children for that. <laughs> 
Nelson Mandela had said, the brave man is not he who does not feel fear, but he who conquers his fear. And by man, I do, of course, mean adolescent boy. <laughs> or if Emmeline Pankhurst had said, I'm sure we'll have the vote one day. The girls seem terribly keen on it. <laughs> I can't see why I should go to prison when Alice here can just do a bit of detention. <laughs> She, I mean, she, could, she could go, I'm not, I'm not eating school dinners. I mean, can imagine if previous generations had just left it to children. We wouldn't have it. It's not their job. It's not their responsibility. We've made the mess. And we're just going, oh, they seem keen. It's not okay. And I was wondering, why do we feel this is okay? Why are we leaving it to children? Because it used to be that children were foolish Grown-ups, that's how all generations saw it. And now we look to children as sort of wiser than us. And I was trying to work out how this had happened, and I realised what it was. Technology. Technology, that's what's happened. Because we all know that if the, our iPad is locked and we cannot work out how to unlock it, we find a toddler and go, there's Peppa Pig behind that magical screen. If you can work out how to unlock it. And they can! They absolutely can! They are digital natives, where I'm just a day trip. I've barely got a visa. I'm a day trip. I don't know. Just give us a shout-out if you feel you're a digital native. Woo! Give us a shout-out if you're 23 or under. Woo! Oh, God. There's too many of you. So you're Gen Z. If you're 23 and under, I think you're Gen Z. You're the ones that are apparently going to save the world. Are you on it? Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay, good. I mean, that, that's the confidence as well. But it's, I swear, it's because you look at me and you go, I don't know how to operate a robot. You're right. I don't know how to operate a robot. You could just look at it and intuit it because you were raised with robots. By robots, I do mean computers. Um, but that's what's happening. And technological change, there's one thing young children know is how things, they expect everything to change. They expect all their devices to be different tomorrow than they were today. Whereas I like to learn something and have it stay that way for five to 12 years I don't like change I can't I, getting a new phone is not exciting for me because I just know there's going to be fundamental differences that are unfun for ages like and some of them are not better by the way the new iPhone can I just say I've got a real complaint about it because it used to be in a meeting I could just reach down into my bag and with my thumbprint unlock it and then to give a quick look down to see if anything more interesting was happening there than it was here and now this new one's got face recognition so I can't do that anymore I have to go <laughs> up to the table trying to make eye contact with my phone that's madness and it also used to be that a whatsapp message would just pop up and go are you still on for four o'clock and then I could just sneakily type yes because it would pop up on the screen and now it just pops up notification have you seen this? It's your new iPhone. It just says, it doesn't say the content. And you have to look it in the eye. You don't have to touch it, but you have to look it in the eye. And then notification turns into, are you okay for four o'clock? You have to make direct eye contact. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is? Because those bastards in Silicon Valley, they're all cheaters. They're all fucking unfaithful to their wives. And they've all been left. They've all, they've all had a Bezos-style divorce because, it's, oh, you up has just popped up on the screen and their wives popped over to have a look at the time and gone, who the fuck is this? And so now, or they can just, while Bezos is sleeping, she can just pop his thumb on it and unlock it. Now his eyes have to be wide open, wide open, and you've got to be looking happy as well. If, you, if your eyes are being pried open, it doesn't do it. It knows. It knows. So I think 
what my point is. is uh, I think what my point is, I don't understand how the world works anymore. Um, and I feel like part of the reason is now, I, in a way, we are all having affairs with robots. We are, it's, it's not just the affair that the robot reveals. It's my, what I'm saying is my husband talks to Alexa a lot more than me. <laughs> He uses her name a lot more, and that is true. He uses, he's all like, Alexa, oh, what about this, Alexa? He never uses my name, he never says, oh, Deborah. It's always like, if, if he doesn't say a name, I assume it's me. Otherwise, hey, Siri, hey, Siri. He never says, hey, Deborah. And, and I find it annoying, and, and, and I've just thought, I'm just not going to respond unless he says, hey, Deborah. I'm just going to sit there. If he goes, oh, what do you want for supper, or do you want to watch The Good Place? I'm just going to sit there like this. So he says, hey, Deborah, do you want to watch The Good Place? And then I will say. But what I am going to do is when he's talking to his friends in the other room, Doctor Who, Daleks, from the other room, I'm just going to shout out, I didn't understand that. How can I help you? Until the whole situation changes. Main thing is save the environment. Thank you very much. today. One guest is uh, my cod daughter. So I have cod children. She and I started this together. It's a god daughter that or a son that you nominate as a grown-up and a child because sometimes parents impose babies on you and no one knows what that personality is going to be. And it could work out. Might be They might be very sporty and then of course it won't. Um, so... <laughs> So, uh, this is a child you have a connection with and you make an agreement with them that you're going to be their codmother. Do ask the parents. Don't just go up to a random child at a bus stop. Um, and my coddaughter, Clemency Carter, I know is an authentic eco-warrior and uh, she's nine years old. And uh, our other guest is almost as impressive. Um, she has worked for Medicine Sans Frontieres and Forum for the Future and now is the CEO... That's right, the CEO was a woman all along of the climate group. So please welcome to the stage Clemency Carter and Helen Clarkson. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I think Tom's bringing you a chair, Clem. So you pop, actually, Clem, you sit there and Helen can sit there. Sorry, there we go. And Tom's sorting mics. Now, Clemency, you recently took the day off school, much to your principal's disapproval and chagrin. I don't think you should look so thrilled about it, but... <laughs> I'm delighted that you do. Could you tell us about the letter you wrote to her? Well, I wrote a letter that's just talking about climate change and it's talking about why it's important and why it's more important than stupid attendance. Um, <laughs> excellent. Do you want to read us the letter first? Okay. So okay. was this letter, just to clarify, it was written after you'd gone on strike for the day and she hadn't been happy, or was it beforehand to explain yourself? Before. Beforehand. Okay, so she knew. Okay. You'd asked if you could have the day off and she said no, and then you wrote this letter. No, I wrote the letter to tell her that I was taking the day off. She wasn't asking no one. She was telling them. Wow. I should point out Clemency's wearing a pin that says full-time feminist. Yeah. And she's got six tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> can't see them. Planet Earth. OK, all right. So, Clemency, read your letter. I'm sure you'll agree that there's a problem, a big problem, going on in this world at this minute. You know what it is. It's climate change. Climate change is ruining the Earth and killing up its wonderful animals. It could even end up flooding our world. 
If we don't stop now, by 2031, global warming has to be kept to a maximum of 1.5 degrees Celsius, or else it will significantly worsen the risk of drought, floods, extreme heat and poverty for hundreds of millions of people. This is why I've decided to go on strike. I know it may affect my attendance, but I believe climate change is much more important. I'm very sorry, but I can't just sit and wait while this is happening. Yours sincerely, Clemency. Now, the reason I'm inviting Clemency on is because I know she's authentic. She's not, you know, a media child who's been trained to kind of go out. I genuinely, I know Clemency, and I know that this is authentic to you. How long ago did you start to worry about the environment? I'm not sure, but I think it was like three years ago. Right, when you were six? Yeah. That's, I mean, that, it's a lot for a six-year-old to start worrying about the environment. I worry that it must be very scary to think about such huge things about the future. I just worry, because you know like how like in the 70s everyone's really worried about kind of nuclear apocalypse. Mm. It's a lot for children to also absorb. It's a lot for adults to absorb, but does it scare you day to day or do you think we can sort it out? Um, a bit of both. It does scare me, but I think the children can sort it out. <laughs> that's amazing. And you've done other things in your life. You've cut out eating meat, is that true? Um, Yes. Your mother and father still eat meat, but you told your mother, I'm not going to eat meat anymore, a while ago. How long ago was that? Um, I think that was around August last year. And you've stuck to that? Yeah. How does it feel to know that you're a better person than your mother? (laughs) Who is a close personal friend of mine. (laughs) Well, I don't think she's cooking her own dinner. To be but, fair. but your mum hasn't cut out meat and she's making special meals for you. Does that make you feel a bit smug? Um, it doesn't make me feel smug. It makes me feel happy that she's not telling me that I can't be. Supportive. Yeah. Everything you say is totally amazing, Clemency. Uh, do you, as a nine-year-old, have it? Because I'm going to be dead a lot quicker than you. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I hope you come to my funeral and read a poem or something like that. Um, if you could write something, start writing something now, maybe honing it. Um, so I hope that we do leave you a better earth than the one that we could do. Do you have anything to say to uh, the generations ahead of you about how you feel about and what you'd like us to do? I think we should uh, ban cars. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I get a lot of taxis, the, so I, I don't I, really. I invented, I invented these cars that are made out of balloons... And so if you ever hit anything, they, they just pop and everyone's oh, safe. They go really good. slow. Um, well, do you know, I take black cabs and they're going electric now. The black cab I came in today was electric. So, again, call me an eco-warrior. Um, uh, is there anything else you'd like us to know or do? I've stopped allowing my parents to take me to places in cars that aren't electric. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> well, Clemency Carter... You're better than us and always will be. Thank you so much. Big round of applause for Clemency Carter. Okay, Clemency wants to stay, so she's going to hang out. Okay, Um, so now, Helen Clarkson, you are the CEO of the Climate Group. And feel free to chip in at any time, Clem, as well, if you're going to stay. Uh, It's like a dinner party. You feel free. Um, I don't know how many dinner parties you go to, but that's the rules. Um. This one doesn't have any food, just just in case you think anything's coming. At least there's no meat. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly, guys. No food. (laughs) 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> um, so, Helen, tell us, luckily tonight the Guilty Feminist is going to stop climate change. Um, we should have covered this topic before, really. Can you tell us what should we be doing Thank you. And it's great to be here and be talking about this. And we're really excited to um, see the school strikes. So I've been working on this for a long time. Lots of people have been working. And what we've really found difficult is to get any sort of interest, actually, from the public. Because it's always seemed like, you know, it's in the future and it's probably a bit far away and it's a bit cold here anyway. So, you know, um, and there was a thing in Parliament a few years ago, you know, and an MP stood up and actually said, you know, oh, we could grow wine in Scotland. And everyone went, oh, that, yeah, that's nice. And so it's been really hard to get people engaged. On the other hand, some parts of the world will be completely flooded and everyone yeah. will die, but we'll be able to grow but, wine in Scotland. But, but, so we'll be drinking so our Scottish thing I've ever heard. I think that's, but it, that's a really good example of how people don't seem to be able to... It's very difficult to be able to absorb or exactly. imagine the effects. They just think it's going to be fine. There's already a refugee crisis because of climate change. It's yeah. already happening. It's not actually a future thing. There's already the effects. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago... Scientists weren't willing to say that this event happened because of climate change. And that really has changed in the last few years where they've been willing to say, yeah, look, this is the climate changing. Margaret Thatcher actually gave a really early speech about it you know, in the 70s. So it's been really known that this is coming for a long time, but no Even one Thatcher. Even, if even an early Thatcher. feminist Do you know who move. Margaret Thatcher is, Clementine? Lucky you if the answer's no. She was a pop star from the <laughs> 80s. No, that's <laughs> not true. Do you, do you know who Margaret Thatcher is? Do you, have, you, have you heard of her? She was a prime minister that we had. Um, I've heard of her. Yeah, she was a bit like Theresa May, but scarier. That's difficult. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you some videos later. Um, anyway, so we've had this issue where, you know, if you did talk about climate change, you, there's all these big, big things, and this big problem, and the world's ending and everything, and people say, what can I do? And we would sort of end up going... Well, change your light bulbs. So there was this big kind of, people talk about a value action gap, this gap between here's this big problem and here's what I can do as an individual. And so that's why I started kind of making this joke that, you know, if you actually told people what they had to do, they don't want to hear it. And you can say, look, stop flying, don't have kids, don't eat meat. And people go, right, apart from that, what can I do? And it's like, well, everything else is kind of second order. But what you can do, and we've sort of said, is buy from the right businesses, vote for the right politicians. And that's all very well, but there's only a few businesses that are doing the right thing and very few politicians who are willing to go out behind the kind of radical message that we need about how much change we need. So that's why I think it's really exciting to see these school strikes because we're starting to actually get some traction and people paying attention. And I think what's great is, first of all, it shows you that individuals can make a real difference. So this started with Greta sitting outside on her own, outside uh, the Swedish parliament on strike with her sign. How old was she when she started this? 15 or 16 She's 16 now, and I think she was 15 when she started. And it took 30 weeks, and it got up to millions of kids. And if you don't know this, this is Greta, Th- Greta Thunberg. Thunberg, who's I like a to Swedish pretend that we know each other, but we don't. But Greta, yes, <laughs> I, I think she has one name, you know, person. If you don't know her, look up her videos on YouTube. She's got lots of amazing speeches. Yeah, and she came and gave a speech 
uh, last year at the big climate conference uh, for the UN. So she sort of started this individual thing of sort of saying to adults, look, this is our future. We really need you to take these sorts of radical action. And now we're seeing school children get behind that. And what I think is interesting is if you look at the age of the children who are doing this, sort of nine up into their teens, and then the age of their parents, probably in their 40s, late 40s and 50s, actually that's the age of the people that we work with, the businessmen and the politicians, I say men advisedly, but, and politicians who make these decisions and who we've seen, you know, the thing, one of the things I'm sick of is going to climate conferences and you get these people standing up making these very worthy speeches like, it's all about the children. And it, I think really it hasn't been until now. It's very much paying lip service to this idea of future generations. But actually now kids are going home and saying, we need you to take action. And I think that can really help us to kind of galvanise much more of the sort of action that we need to really deal with it. So is it in the same way that children used to pressure their parents into buying Furbies? Now yeah. par- parents are being pressured because they do listen to their children. The amount of women who have said to me oh, I love your podcast, my daughter made me listen to it. Or my daughter was listening to it and said, Mum, you'll really love this. Or yeah. was listening to it in her room and I was started listening in. Or women who say, oh, I get lectured by my daughter all the time, I'm not the right kind of feminist. Yeah. And she says, oh, you've got to check your privilege and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, at first I got a bit annoyed, but then I realised she was right. So it's... <laughs> So is it true, too, that no matter what age you are, if you start telling your parents, they're more likely to listen? And if you know anyone of influence, you need to go in and have those conversations? Yeah, I mean, I think always, you know, in environmental, you kind of have these... um, So the environmental movement, over the years, I've seen a lot of people want to convert people. So I'm going to kind of come and lecture you, I'm going to give you all the science, and then you'll make the right decision. And it doesn't really work. You know, actually, we don't have time to sit and really patiently go through the science with everyone. But if you draw a sort of map, people just tend to put themselves in the middle, their family next, their community just outside that. Maybe they you kind of work out in waves of influence. So actually being able to get into the centre of that kind of target and the people around you putting pressure on and saying, look, we need to act differently, we need to be differently, can be really, really effective. And I think that's where this is going to have a success, that these kind of very greeny campaigns that maybe we've tried over the years haven't got traction. I also think it's about having constructive things to do because just really wanting it not to happen or wanting to help is quite vague. I mean, obviously, there's large things in terms of who you vote for, but there are small things, like you say, with companies. And sometimes I think sometimes it's gearing people towards those companies going, support these people or these people are doing this. Because otherwise I think people are so busy, there isn't a lot of time to absorb actual changes that they can make. So that's why I think sometimes they go, yeah, it's terrible, what can I do? Yeah, it's beyond, I, it's I, beyond I me. Yeah. Yeah. What were you telling me at the party about the running shoes manufacturers just saying, look, don't give us gold medals, make really strict standards and we'll just live up to them? Yeah, so some of the things that have happened sort of with business is they want, I speak on behalf of business, but they want certainty in the market. So one of the things that, if you know about the Paris Agreement, the Paris Climate Agreement was signed in 2015 by most of the countries in the world, and businesses actually really supported it. And a lot of business we worked with before that and in my previous role and other organisations, you know, might have been a bit, we don't really want climate, but what if we're going to tackle climate, they want to do it from the same position. So they want to, acting on climate shouldn't be a competitive advantage. It should be the level of playing field that we're all on. And so when you came into 2016 and the presidential election in the States, then 2017 uh, when the president of the US pulled out or said that the US will pull out of the Paris Agreement, these businesses, I'd actually been in the States for six years working with business over there, and ones that 
never really wanted to talk about climate or really acknowledge that they had a position, suddenly were writing letters, getting on adverts in the Wall Street Journal saying, do not pull out of the Paris Agreement. And that wasn't because they'd kind of got the green, you know, story or wanted to be saving the world from a philanthropic point of view. It's because they don't want to have their competitors have a competitive advantage, say a carbon price comes in or whatever, they all want to be in the same position. So the fact that the Paris Agreement had said, this is the way the world's going, this is what the future looks like, allows businesses to then say, right, that's the world we need to innovate for. So they want rules. So yeah. if everyone in the industry has to live up to that rule, they will just catch up. And this is because sometimes I, you know, I'll go and do a seminar about diversity and inclusion in the corporates. And honestly, I've heard them say things like, well, the end of the world is very, very bad for the bottom line. Yeah, they're like, well, yeah. our, they say our shareholders are concerned because they're like, profit is really going to drop. Yeah, the, mar- the, like, the market. Yeah. No point in it being free if there's no I, one in it. Yeah, yeah. And, and isn't I that think... amazing? But if that's what's motivating people, I don't care what motivates people. If it's the bottom line, then fine. Yes, it's true. If we are all dead bar cockroaches, yes, it's harder to sell Pepsi. I do see that. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And and I think one of the other issues about it is the numbers seem, when you talk about the temperature changes, the numbers actually seem very small. So if you say, oh, tomorrow, you know, your phone beeps, it's like tomorrow's going to be one... That's what my phone does now, is it constantly tells you what the weather's going to be like. So it's going to be one degree colder tomorrow. And you think, well, I'll I'll just wear what I'm wearing today. Mm. And you can't get your head around what that means for the planet. And actually, Mm. the big report that came out last year, which was this kind of landmark report from the UN scientists, that's called the IPCC, they were asked by the UN to go and look at should we be aiming to get it down to or limit it to two degrees of warming or 1.5 degrees C of warming? And there was a general assumption there's not much in that. It's half a degree. Mm. And actually what they came out and said, look, this is radically different. It's the difference between, you know, the amount of coral that's lost, the sea level rise, the biodiversity loss is hugely different. And actually the work that we need to do to get warming onto a trajectory that's 1.5 degrees C only is really, really hard. It's radical. And that's why we need these sorts of actions to really galvanise our politicians and give them confidence that they can take decisions and have our support. Is going more vegan, because my thing is do two out of three of those things. If you've got a baby, go vegan and don't fly anywhere. And I'm so sorry, you're now stuck in a house with only letters and you're not allowed to leave. Uh, And what if that baby likes to travel? (laughs) Well, this is the thing. I think it's better for me to cut out... Like, I've cut out meat except fish, but occasionally if someone cooks it for me or, like, I'm like, I might have a bit of chicken or something. Um, Is that better than me eating all the meat I was eating before? You know, and I sort of offer those bits of advice as almost a provocation to get people to think about, you know, the big-ticket items. And because people are, you know... Saying, oh, look, but what if I just change my light bulb? It's like, no, you need to do more. It does make it, everything makes a difference. So, carbon, it collects in the atmosphere, so every bit counts. So, yeah, it's much better to go, you know, meat free Mondays is nothing. Don't eat meat midweek. That's what I think is a really good rule. Just, you know, have it once a month or at the weekend. Meat's a treat. Like, if, there's a really if difficult you, thing that if you make something kind of verboten, it yeah. becomes more delicious. And then what happens is actually everyone ends up with a guilt complex where they're going, I know I shouldn't. And I think there's a lot of that going on with lots of things that are actually avoidable, like kind of single-use plastic, that what happens is you end up doing the same thing, not having less of it. I think sometimes, I only know this from like pornography studies, but telling people they shouldn't, they end up watching more pornography and then feeling worse about it afterwards. And you don't want that to happen with meat, because actually you're not a bad person. If your body craves something, it craves it. But it's about kind of respecting it and going... It has a cost. I know where yeah. my food comes mm. from. If you've got time to kind of do that kind of sourcing. And then the other things people can do, not your age, but 
Look at where your pensions are invested. That's another big thing that people could do. <laughs> Just to make people laugh. But people do through their works. There's a law that come in, came in this week. Okay. So it's compulsory through employment schemes that money is going into pensions. And you do have a say over who those companies these are invested in. I, so if I had a pension, I would definitely do that. Yeah. But my <laughs> pension has so become odd. really successful. I didn't know everyone had a pension. No. In my mind, I'll think, oh, I'll just become successful enough. I'll be all right. But I won't be. And I know that. And much like climate change, I'm not doing enough about saving for the future. I've, that's another show. So, I've just decided not to die. Good plan. Good plan. There's no proof you have to. Well, although if nobody dies, we're back. It's as, oh, it's, no, not everyone. Oh, just you. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So, what are the things, if all the guilty feminists around the world listening to this, yeah. there's a lot of us, mm. what could we all do? Go as vegan as possible. Which is full vegan, actually. And possible, also, I think yeah, if we're just searching food in general, there's some things in terms of the farming that, in, in like, you know, like palm oil th- or yeah. soy that are equally really good. I will give you one very simple thing. So there'll be more school strikes and a bunch of middle-aged men will, you know, abuse the school kids and say, you should be in school. Just tweet back at them because mm. it's so frustrating. And I think supporting these sorts of movements, that's a very simple thing that we can do is to get behind and actually create this into a proper groundswell of opinion about we do want you to take these actions mm. and really give the support to the politicians who are willing to go out there because we're going to need to see them and businesses and others really starting to take big steps. And we're going to need to go with them. And so it is about some things in your life individually. We've sort of named some of them. But it's also about coming together and thinking, right, how do we make this really a radically different world? And the sooner we do it, we can do it with a way that ensures we all have more prosperity and have better lives. But the longer we leave it, and we have left it very late, then we're going to get into these very gloomy scenarios. So it's about starting to take action now. Um, Yeah, cutting meat out. You don't have to go vegan tomorrow, but it's thinking about everything and thinking about how do you just make better choices and they add up. And if you are vegan and listening and thinking, that's not vegan, that's plant-based, yes, we're sorry, we've used the wrong terminology. Veganism is a way of thinking around animal rights, and it's also about the products you use. What we're talking about is more plant-based eating. Think plant-based. Let's have a Guilty Feminist hashtag, which is, because I always think, you know, they're saying go to school, but actually what these kids are doing is going down to Parliament and schooling the power. Mm. So I think we should have a hashtag school the power that we hashtag back at people who are going, oh, why are these children truants? Um, No, a truant is someone who stands behind a bike shed with a cigarette. Another hero. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of hero. Yeah, they're going to school the power. So hashtag school the power and copy us in at Pod, and we will also uh, retweet you and support what the kids are doing. Be more plant-based. Even if you feel you can't cut meat out altogether, actually, the less you eat it, the less you want it, I find. Mm -hmm. It's also the thing that you never talk about with veganism or plant-based is it's very exciting to find alternatives. And I know exciting sounds like, no, it's not. You're not stopping yourself from having things you want. You're finding a different way of cooking, different ways of getting flavour, all of those kind of things. If you think about it in a positive, creative way, if you've got time... A good vegan food is great. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) The good vegan food. But also, I never cooked until I was vegan. I was a very Mm. lazy vegetarian. And I think it's thinking of it like that, like, oh, let's try this as an experiment. We always rely on the flavours of, like, kind of meat juice or whatever. Yeah, electric cars. And is there a website we can go to to find out more about what we can do? What's the Climate Group's website? Theclimategroup.org. Theclimategroup.org. So go there and find out what you can do and actually start to do something. We can't just talk about it and hashtag it. We actually have to do something. And follow us on Instagram, And, uh, yeah, follow Clemency's example. Take Friday off work. uh, And... (laughs) 
go down and bring some vegan sandwiches down to the kids because they are doing something absolutely extraordinary that I certainly my generation wouldn't have done. Um, if we took days off school, it was for ourselves, it wasn't for the planet. If we want to become vegetarian, but you're finding it really difficult. In America, there's a burger, I think it's called the Impossible, but it tastes exactly like real meat. Mm. And it even bleeds. And, <laughs> and, it, yeah. and at but Greg's, they do a sausage roll that tastes exactly like sausage yeah, roll. Yeah, vegan sausage roll. Support Greg's and the vegan sausage roll. I think the Love Burger at Leon, which is completely vegan and has cheese and mayonnaise, is so nice you can't have one. Yeah. And we are going to go forward to this sort of manufactured meat products and things like that as well. We are going there. Go and visit the website and just actually make one or two small but routine regular changes. And we will... Uh, do you feel confident and optimistic we will slow the climate change in time? Most of the time, I feel optimistic. What if Trump gets in again? That becomes... Don't a, say that! We were having such a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> That will worry. Yeah, that's worrying. Okay, yeah, four, so we've we can, got to. We've got four years of Trump. We can deal with a re-election. Would be for the climate. Another four years is going to become more problematic because uh, the US will come out of the Paris Agreement. The day after the next election is the day that the US come out of the Paris Agreement. So if someone else wins, they will keep them in. Okay. So if you are listening in America. You have to do everything you can to campaign and to convert people outside your bubble. And that might mean knocking on doors. It might mean going and, you know, if you feel that you do that safely, phoning people, doing whatever you can uh, to tweet outside your bubble. Can I have a huge round of applause for my amazing co-pilot, Sarah Pascoe? <laughs> the CEO... Uh, the, the, the most C, more CEOs called David than women, but tonight we have an amazing, amazing CEO here, Helen Clarkson, CEO of the Climate Group. <laughs> of feminism, nine-year-old Kermit Zagata! You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, number Doctor's wife, Gibbs, co-host Sarah Pascoe, and our very special guest, Helen Clarkson and Kermit Zagata. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, the music was by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Chris and Luke at the PBJ Live, as well as everyone at The Underbelly, as well as all of you for listening. For information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Um, we should get the show going, um, because we've got such amazing guests tonight. Um, I mean, other nights we don't have that great guests, and we go on and on. <laughs> Helen, what do you say to people who say that governments need to handle this? who say that it isn't going to make any difference what I do as an individual? I do get asked that a lot, actually. So I think there's two answers, really, to that. So on the one hand, yes, it is true that the really big-ticket stuff needs to be done by governments, by big business, by big players in the economy. And so one of the things that people can do as individuals is vote for the right people and buy from the right companies. And, you know, in the UK, we've probably got an election coming up, and I think starting to really scrutinise what the government's uh, put in their manifesto, what the opposition parties put in their manifestos, and thinking about that really hard is very, very important. So on the one hand, there's, there is truth in that. On the other hand, every ounce of carbon that's released into the atmosphere makes a difference. So everything that you do as an individual does have an impact, and it really starts to add up. And I think one of the problems that we get is that what people want to hear from you when they ask that question is, they sort of want you to let them off the hook. So they want to say, no, no, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. It's up to the government. But actually, there's so much that we can do. And those go to things like, you know, what food we eat. So giving up meat is a really, really 
impactful thing that everyone can do individually or going a long way towards that. So I'm not advocating that every single person has to go out there, uh, you know, completely give up meat tomorrow, but really radically cutting down and switching how we think about meat is a really good starting place for individuals. Thinking about how we travel, that's another one. So personal flights, giving up flying, it seems really, really extreme. But as we move into the next decade, as we really start to tackle this issue, I think we're going to find people are taking a look at that and actually finding that long distance train journeys, not only not as bad as you think, but actually really enjoyable. And you can do some really exciting exploring in different ways. I think, you know, when you and I met, I sort of provoked and said, well, you know, you can give up flying, give up meat, don't have kids. That's very extreme and it is meant as a provocation. So you're not saying nobody can have children or if you've got children, somehow send them back. We're saying reassess things. Yeah, I think this is a really difficult one. And that my intention is not to make people who have children feel guilty or to go around with a kind of radical anti-child agenda. I think when I said that to you, it is supposed to be a bit of a provocation about what are the choices we're making in our life? And actually, what are the things that have a really big impact? And just our life on the planet makes an impact. So every time we add a life, every time we add to the amount of people living, then obviously that has a carbon impact. And I think it focuses the mind because what you're thinking about there in terms of population growth and these things is we have to do everything that we need to do to cut carbon for the people already here and the population is growing. So it's really thinking about efficiency of life and how are we going to live with one another on the planet. So it is meant as a provocation. There's been a big kind of push in the environmental movement over the years of what you call deep greens who really do have a kind of anti-population agenda and you'll see it kind of below the line commentary on any sort of environmental article you put up you know somewhere like the guardian there'll always be people going well you know if we just killed everyone off then we'd be fine so in a way it's pushing back against some of that kind of deep green agenda and thinking is that a question we need to start asking ourselves it's just kind of reflecting back to people that we are constantly making choices and This isn't an agenda that's completely out of our hands. There are things that you can do. I don't want to get into that kind of, uh, you know, radical greenie says everyone has to stop having kids. And, you know, it's more kind of nuanced than that in terms of thinking about us as people living on the planet. And we're not passive recipients of government policy. And, uh, you know, we are active participants on the planet. So don't just get to 30 and think, I guess having children is what everyone does. Let's just have two children. Like, think about it. Do you really, really want children? Could you foster? Could you adopt? Is there something else that would make you happy? Because if we bring loads of children into the world and we run out of oxygen in 14 years, those same children are not going to have a great life. Yeah. And and sort of a related point, maybe we could use this as a basis for stop looking down on women who don't have children. You know, that thing of when I don't get asked this anymore. I'm a bit old, but uh, people in their 30s, oh, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to... This expectation that that is the role of a woman. So that's one part of it. Maybe we could look at women who don't have children and think, oh, you know what? You've done uh, a very good thing there for the rest of us. You are an eco-warrior. And then the second thing is, which is all part of this kind of same childbearing thing, which is a kind of another bugbear, is, you know, when, when you speak as many climate things as I do you get a whole raft of people standing up and going, well, you know, I just look at my children and that's why I'm doing it. And I think, come on, just you should be doing it because we all have a stake in the planet. It's not about some sort of weird 
heroism and I think there's a lot where we push it on to the next generation. We're looking at school children. I know that school strikes is a big topic of conversation and you know, there's this thing of like, well, the children will come along and save us and the children, are here. and it's like, we've got to be doing this right, right now. And so in that sense, I'd almost like to take children out of the discourse because we've got a very little amount of time to do it. And we're talking about the climate decade. So the next 10 years has to be, you know, if you think about the roaring 20s or the swinging 60s, the next decade, the 2020s are going to be about the climate. And we need to really start doing things now because we have to halve carbon emissions in the next 10 years. And that's a very active, very aggressive agenda that we all need to be getting onto. And so I think endlessly pushing into this as a conversation about something our children will deal with. We're dealing with it now and people across Europe are dealing with it now. We're looking at how, you know, heat and things are changing, heat waves, the Arctic, what's happening there. You know, these are all real impacts right, right now. We all need to be taking action. How dangerous are the carbon emissions from flying? I mean, aviation is a big part of the problem and that's a very heavily emitting sector. Um, I think, you know, when people were talking 10, 20 years ago, it was all, there was a lot about we're going to have to stop flying. And I think if you were really pushing it, you would say, yeah, we do have to stop flying. I think where we are now is there's a kind of reality around this is how business is done. So how do we accommodate that? So I do think that we've massively got to cut down on the amount we fly. I think there will still be, when you look at the net zero by 2050 models, there is still some flying in the mix. Some of that will be electrified, so that uh, domestic flights and short haul probably will be electrified in the next couple of decades. That means quite a lot of work to achieve that. Do you mean electric planes? Yeah, so there's a lot of work now, R&D, on yeah, electric planes, solar planes. So shifting the technology in aviation, I think in the long run, we're going to see new technologies in the short run, we don't have those. So people really need to think about when they fly. And you know, people shouldn't just be hopping on a plane. For the last 10 years, most of my personal travel has been on trains. I've done trains all the way across America. It's actually quite a lot of fun. But yes, where I've flown, it's tended to be going to see family or something. And I think moving more to that model and really thinking hard about why you're just jumping on a plane. Can I just say here and now, I'm not going to be the first person to trial the solar-powered plane? No, well, someone's, someone, someone has done it. It took them about two years to get around the world or something incredible. So it's not really about to replace the budget airlines, let's say, but this is where that technology is. And I think this is the key bit of what we also need to support governments on is we need so much R&D. If we want to keep you know, uh, research and development, these technologies, we need very rapid uh, a big investment in the sorts of technologies if we want to keep living the lives that we have have learned to love, a lot of work needs to be done. Now, some of the things I'm flying, I've, you know, you can make a massive change actually through sorting out air traffic control and not having tons of planes stacking over London. That's the sort of macro change we need to see through regulation and through airlines and you know, regulators working on it. But at an individual level, really questioning the amount we fly and not hopping on a plane, yeah. And so there's a lot of other things that need to be done. Uh, you know, heavy industry needs to decarbonize. We need to look at how we're using land. One of the really big things that I think is going to affect individuals in the next 10, 20 years, and it sounds really boring, but how we heat and cool our houses. And there's discussion about how we create an army of people that go around street by street, house to house, and help us look at our heating systems and change the way that we're heating and looking after our houses, which should make them more comfortable. It should also deal with fuel poverty. There's a lot of these things coming. And what the science tells us is that we're not at a choice point. It's not, oh, give up meat or give up flying. It's actually you've got to do both. And we've all got to really look at our lifestyles 
and make these sorts of choices and also start to think hard about how we consume. Another one that we could talk about is fashion. So the amount of fashion contributes to climate change is phenomenal because of all the different parts of the life cycle of how you grow the crops that make the fabric, how that's shipped, fast fashion and the impact that that has. So people thinking about the clothes that they buy, there's a campaign that's going to come up in September about people committing to only secondhand. The Oxfam are running, looking at things like that, trying them out, seeing how they actually don't make your life significantly worse and actually quite fun is going to start getting people into these sorts of changes and, and approaching their own consumption in a different way. And yes, it will make a massive difference. So if we all did 80% of the right things 80% of the time, there would be a significant change in how much longer we could expect to live on this planet in conditions that were suitable for human beings. Uh, yes, there would be, yeah. The thing is, we keep talking about the planet, but the planet's going to be fine. The planet Earth will still be here. It's us that we're doing out of life. I feel right now what we're doing is we're preparing the Earth for a different sort of life form that can survive in much hotter, wetter conditions. That's how we're treating the planet. It's like going into a fabulous hotel room, locking ourselves in and trashing it. We're doing ourselves out of an ecosystem that can support us. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And it sort of comes back to the people question. You're right. The planet will continue. The question, and I came into this work actually through humanitarian aid work and working with people, the question isn't about, as you say, the survival of the planet, it's the survival of humans on the planet. Actually, that lens is quite useful for people to think about because it's been so easy for people to pigeonhole the climate as, oh, it's an environmental concern, it's tree hugging, it's all these things, and it's actually not. It's about society, the lives that we've created, that we enjoy living, and how those sustain. And actually, it's about people on the planet and how we get back into you know, synthesis with the planet, not sort of opposition, as it were. We're just temporary inhabitants here. We're the new dinosaurs, really. And they went instinct. It didn't work out for them. So we know that the Earth has been here for billions of years, and very few of those have had us here. I mean, I bet if you went back in time and said to the dinosaurs, you're temporary, you're not even going to be the most famous things on the planet, they would have gone lol, but at some point it became inhospitable for dinosaurs. And at some point, we may be the cause of our own destruction. Yeah, I think the difference is that the dinosaurs, there's no evidence they knew what was happening to them. We know what's happening to us, and we actually have the tools in our hands to deal with it. We have left ourselves a ridiculously short amount of time, but the window is still open, and there are still ways to tackle this, but we've really got to get on it. You know, we just have to keep pushing on all fronts and very fast and be very ambitious and keep, uh, you know, really, really pushing the momentum. So I think I completely agree with the analogy, but we can see it happening. So let's take action. Helen Clarkson, thank you so very much. You've been brilliant. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.